0: the Football New South Wales Community Podcast, covering the great people, organisations and initiatives from around the football family. I'm your host, Teo Pellizzeri, and in this edition, we have two guests that will be joining us. The COO of the Northern Suburbs Football Association is Adam Clouten. Adam, great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, great. Please have me, Teo. And also joining us is Trevor Huxley, the club changer. Trevor, have I got your title right off the top first and foremost here at Football New South Wales?
1: Thanks for the introduction. Uh, it's- technically program manager of club development but we work on the club changer program so
0: that's accurate enough. Excellent we will be talking to both of you as part of this discussion. Now Adam before we get into what Trevor does let's start with your organisation. Tell us about your role Uh, how many staff are there at uh, the Northern Suburbs Football Association and uh, where does your role sit within that organisation? Yeah, so
2: I um, work for the Northern Suburbs Football Association. So currently have around 12 full-time staff and a few part-time staff as well in the, in the coaching department. So yeah, probably over the last five years or, or even 10 years, pretty much kind of doubled the number of like staff that we have involved. Uh, the Northern Suburbs kind of spans the, the region from North Sydney to, to Brooklyn and it's kind of wedged in between
0: uh, MWFA and, and Northwest Sydney. So how many, you mentioned uh, the evolution of the number of staff, how long have you been uh, with uh, Northern Suburbs Football? <coughs> yes,
2: yeah, so I was probably brought in with the kind of start of that evolution as we kind of did expand our resources. So I've now been involved at NSFA for, for seven years. So I've been there for, for quite a long time and uh, initially started in a, a com- competitions coordinator role
0: uh, with my main focus being mixed miniaries, junior girls and, and women's football. Excellent. Well, let's talk about uh, some of those changes and new initiatives and implementations over the years that have given your players a better experience. Um, Tell us about some of the things that have been introduced, be them competition changes, age group shifts, providing uh, different forms uh, to traditional outfield football. Give us some of your highlights that have been going on in the association. Yeah, so reflecting on it coming into
2: this um, podcast, there's, there's actually been a huge amount of um, competition changes that we've implemented over the last three, four years, um, spanning different kind of categories of competitions. So, within the mini space, junior midst or, or youth football, um, as well as senior football. So, there's been there's been a lot. Um, it can start off with uh, in, the, in the under twelve space. So, this was implemented around two years ago, and we wanted leading associations to go from eleven v eleven football to to nine v nine. Um, so. <coughs> Change the setup, kind of involved smaller field going box-to-box, box. Um, and that was kind of in line with the technical direction of the FA, uh, where, where we kind of wanted to increase the number of touches
0: Increase engagement and, and enjoyment for players how important is bringing clubs along with you for things like modified football though because we hear a lot from a lot of associations about a lack of pitch space a lack of access time wanting synthetics so that they can run the pitches more hours of the day compared to grass but how how important is thinking outside the square and providing modified football to try and capitalize on a facility resource to allow as many players to get that experience playing the sport as possible
2: uh, it's vital, especially with the, the changing landscape and the, the issues that we are going to have in the next 10 to 20 years um, with a lack of facilities and a lack of space. Um, modified football formats like, under, like what we do for under-12s um, gives us the opportunity to increase the utilisation of a football field. Um, so we're kind of using um, full-size fields and often going from sightline to sightline. So it allows us to kind of schedule two games at once. Or we are kind of like utilising artifacts that we normally use, assisting 60 by 40 meter fields. Um, and then yeah, in terms of the consultation, it's important that um, clubs are on board with this. We we do kind of increase the burden on volunteers by sometimes implementing these modified football formats. Uh as it does require volunteers to get out there in the morning, set up um modified fields, bonnet goals, putting out the cones, um that sort of stuff. But uh yeah, it's
0: important that we continue to, to evolve and adapt to, I guess, a change in landscape. Tell us about sort of the relationship between your local competitions uh, within your district and also the, the Northern Tigers program. What's the relationship there? For those unfamiliar with the association, is it complete alignment? Is it uh, same administration handles both? Is it independent administrations? And then what's the relationship between the two?
2: Yeah, so it's complete alignment. So the Northern Tigers comes under NSFA. Um it is separate in that it is kind of run differently. As in, we've got um, separate Tigers staff that are responsible, like a, a TD um, and underpinning an administration that comes under that. But we try to create the alignment there with like our development um, youth leagues and creating a pathway from from clubs to transition into, the, into
0: Tigers. This is my perception purely as an outsider that just commentates the games and sees the very end product at the weekend rather than what goes into building this program i get the feeling that northern tigers is one of the best at looking within its own and promoting from within am i misguided in that that once you get to the top of the npl pyramid you've just got to recruit from anywhere and be as competitive as possible or is it actually reflected in where your players have come from that you are promoting from within
2: yeah that's definitely our strategy that's what what we we do and what what we kind of have to do as well we don't have to same resources that other MPL clubs have. Um, so it's really important that we have that pathway for local clubs to promote players to to Northern Tigers Trevor, and we
1: have
0: that catchment. Sorry, Trevor, you've got some insight into this as well?
1: Yeah, look, speaking as, I guess, a club president, we have, I think we've had three kids get selected this year and that's been tremendously exciting. And I think that's the end goal. You know, we do SAP and we do DEV so that these kids can progress along the pathway. And that's three kids that success stories for us as a club so that's definitely working.
0: Just for the benefit of our listeners which club is that? Uh, Barara Football
1: Club. right? And that's great
2: to hear that's the I guess same mindset
1: that majority of the club
2: presidents do have is that they don't want to keep these players for themselves they want to pass them on to to Northern Tigers and encourage them to to trial out for for our our club.
0: Uh, I'll get both your perspective on this though then because you know while it is important to be represented and to represent your community sometimes the, the grim reality of you know winning titles avoiding relegation means that you, you can either you ha- sometimes you have to make a choice between results and being true to who you are and where you're from so how much does it mean to both of you that the northern tigers to a large extent have been able to achieve both success but also remaining true to their member clubs that feed the players up that pathway
1: I think speaking from a club level, our attention is really important. So keeping players at per hour and progressing through the pathway and then eventually if they're getting picked up by Tigers who also have a high, you know, high retention rate, that's part of what we do. That's part of our culture is we want to develop our own players. Our men's Premier League's very strong. I believe we won the league with 95% homegrown players and we try and do that throughout the whole club.
2: And I would also add that while it's in the youth stage... Like, clubs may lose players to Tigers. Um, when it does get to, to first grade, a lot of players from 20s don't necessarily make the cut into the first grade team. And what we do notice that a lot of players that don't make that transition into the first grade team, they go back to their local club. So that may well have been the case with our football club with some, some of the players coming back from the MPL
0: system. Let, let's skip ahead from senior football about 10 to 20 years. Tell me about some of your overage competition initiatives, what you've introduced and what need that is satisfying for some of the super veterans and and even beyond super veteran age players of your association. Yeah, so it was quite exciting. This year um,
2: we launched a men's over 55 competition. So I believe we're the first association to have that age group. And that just came from existing demands. Like we've got that kind of demographic where there's a lot of players. I think it's almost around 500 players. That are 55 and older that play in our competitions. Five hundred—that's extraordinary. Yes, it's significant, and we previously did try to roll out a modified format for it. Um, so thinking along the lines of nine feet nine half field, um, that didn't quite get off the ground. I guess the feedback we got from the players is that they still wanted to play, um, I guess, still eleven feet eleven and on a full size field. Uh, so we made that happen. We got we got seven teams for the first year. Uh, The feedback was very positive and we're hoping to be able to launch a second edition next season.
0: So I I imagine this must be an untapped – do you think it's unique to your part of the city and the demographics that are living in the suburbs within? Or do you think this is potentially something that's untapped in more associations and perhaps um, yours were the ones that have been the, the market leaders speaking out and creating that demand? I think a bit of both uh, I do know if in the northern suburbs area
2: there is like a, an older demographic um, and it's great that it's still still playing their football and enjoying the football but I, I do think there's an opportunity for for other associations to, to roll out similar initiatives and I think you kind of seen that through through
0: walking football as well my understanding is you're going to be looking at something similar for women's um uh, veteran age competitions as well. Yeah. Is that going ahead or is it still in the planning stage for next season? So so it's going ahead. So we've announced it. It's, it's been in the pipeline for
2: probably the last three years now uh, where we've had more and more of our women's over 35 cohort be 45 plus. Um, and then I guess the challenge for us is do we have enough place to be able to sustain, I guess, two new competitions, which is what we're establishing next year. So next year the plan is to have a women's over 30s competition and a women's over 45 and that's replacing the assisting women's over 35 competition
0: now when we talk about world cup legacy we always talk about it in terms of kids junior uptake swell of participation how much how much of this is players that just want to continue to relive the glory years at an age-appropriate level versus potentially um you know women in their 30s and 40s who want to take up football for the first time do you have any insights into what is creating the demand here Look, I think the demand has been a build up for the last five or six years. Um,
2: I, I crunched the numbers actually with that women's over 35 age group, for example. And I think in 2016, 2017, um, we had around 350 players, and now we've got 580 players. So it's increased by 200 players and around 12 teams within that period. So I think a lot of it is, is new, new players wanting to to join the game and have that social experience and I think a lot of it has started with uh, summer football, um, six-a-side football, like our women's over 30 competition that we have at one of our summer football venues, it's always the first to sell out, it reaches 30 teams which is the cap we have straight away and then I think a lot of those players are are um, retained and then
0: transition into the winter football competition. Before we talk about summer football and some of the locations, for those unfamiliar with your association, you did briefly off the top mention the geographical boundaries, but what parts of Sydney, what suburbs, what areas are you drawing your players from? And and then what is considered sort of the the reasonable border area of your association?
2: Yeah, good question. I think uh, probably around the the southern area um, in the Willoughby Council, North, North Sydney Council... That's experiencing a lot of growth. Um, and then also more, more centrally, so more centrally for us is around Linfield, Tamurra, um, Kuringai. Uh, that would probably be the, be the key regions where we are getting that um, bigger uptake. Probably less so within the, the Hornsby Council area, but Trevor might be
0: able to add more to that.
1: Yeah, look, I think over time that will continue to grow as well, but you've definitely hit on the, the big growth areas.
0: So, it, and when we talk about you know the um, players aging and and a change in the competitions being provided because of the demographic change, um, what is your forecast of how your association is going to look? Because we're talking about you know some of the most heavily populated suburbs in the city. And I'm guessing not a huge amount of mobility in terms of people both coming and going from the region. So do you anticipate that you are going to be just a a sort of a a region that is ageing? Or do you actually have the data to suggest that there are still families, young players, and you're going to have to keep that perpetual demand rolling over?
2: Oh, there's going to be a lot more demand coming in. Uh, Like the the data showed over the last 10 years that we've had that increase in registrations. I think last season was the first time we, we actually had a decrease, and I think that can be attributed to factors such as COVID and the La Nina um, season that we experienced last year. And the growth of the population growth is only going to increase as well. There's going to be more apartments built, um, especially, I guess, lower North Shore. Um, there's, there's only going to be more, more apartments and more growth. So we're going to have to find ways to
0: keep up with that. Uh, and in terms of facilities and the size of your clubs and what they have accessible to them, what's the feedback you're getting from your clubs? What's the feedback as an association that you're giving to your councils, to state government when that opportunity presents? Yes, yeah, so and the big challenge for us is that we pretty much
2: are landlocked. There's very few opportunities for us to find new fields. Probably the only area where we've maybe got some room to move is in the Hornsby Council, Um but the bulk of our players come from Karengai Council. Uh, so we've got to find ways to increase the utilisation of existing sports fields. So a big one for us is like a couple more synthetic sports fields, which is proving a, a very contentious debate at the moment in the, the community. But then also just improving the fields, whether it's um, drainage, um, maintenance, upgrade of to the playing field,
0: lighting. They're all things that we're going to council with and projects that we're looking to drive. So the, the prospect of, say, a Christie Park for your region, not on the table at the moment, is, has that ever been the dream or is it really about making the most of the facilities you've got? That is the
2: dream and that it's actually on, on the table at the moment. So a big project for ours is um, at NTRA where, where the Northern Tigers base themselves and other local clubs use that facility um, we'd love to have um, a bit like a, an undercover seating area, basically. So, what we're looking to establish um, a space where we're going to be able to have um, our office um, within the within the facility, undercover seating for
0: spectators, additional amenities, change rooms, um, toilets. Okay, so, so a it's bit there's, there's, there's progress. Christy it's part. it's not like it's not like there's complete stagnation. There is actually the prospect of of building on top of what is already there yeah so that that's using a current
2: facility and i guess um increasing increasing the i guess capacity that we have then providing a venue that's comfortable for female footballers in particular so we've been awarded um grant funding for that uh and we're hopeful to be able to start
0: construction next year so speaking of north taramara it is one of the places where summer football takes place let's loop around back to it you mentioned the demand for it we are A month away from proper summer starting, but we've had a few warm days already. Uh, Tell us about summer football. How is it provided? Where is it provided? And how many participants have you currently got on the go?
2: Yeah, so summer football is something that's significantly increased over the last five years as well. It's almost doubled in numbers. Uh, So we've got around 420 teams, uh, which is equivalent to around over 3,500 players. And we're based, we use four different venues across the association, so we try and provide a venue um, for all of our members to, to be able to utilise. So n 2 is one of those venues where we use twice a week. We also use um, Blackman Park in, in Lane Cove, Mills Park in, uh, in Hornsby and Gore Hill in St Leonard. So I feel like we've got a, a good catchment of the region and, and that's grown from around
0: 200 teams um, back in 2017. So that brings us uh, to the end of segment one. We're going to bring Trevor in a bit more prominently in segment two. But, Adam, thanks for the rundown of how things are going for now. And uh, we will tick off some other very important big picture talking points and also how they affect the Northern Suburbs Football Association in segment two coming up next. Welcome back to the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. We've got two guests on this edition Adam Clouton, the COO of the Northern Suburbs Football Association, and also Trevor Huxley, the Program Manager of Club Development at Football New South Wales. Trevor, as we bring you in a little bit more prominently, firstly, how long have you been in this role and how long have you been at Football New South Wales?
1: So I've probably been in this role close to nine months now, and this is my second role here at Football New South Wales. I initially started a couple of years ago in the community space, and I also did some registration support prior to that.
0: You mentioned that you're a president at Barara.
1: How long have you held that title as well? So probably about a similar amount of time that I've been here, eight or nine months. So started that earlier in the year, Um, and yeah, that's been, uh, I guess, rewarding and challenging in equal measure.
0: Club uh, club administration, sports administration, always been your background, or is this uh, a career change represented for you coming into Football New South Wales as well? So I guess I've always been passionate about football. Football's kind of given me
1: a lot of my best friends, a lot of a lot of positive experiences. So you know, getting onto a club committee and being part of Football New South Wales. You know, Football Australia, working within, with Northern Suburbs as well in various roles. As you know, I've been extremely lucky to do that and to kind of give back to the sport that's given me me so much.
0: And um, for those of you, uh, for those of our listeners, trying to place you within Football New South Wales, uh, whose department are you in, and, and sort of who are some of the staff in your orbit? So I work
1: in the community football space. Um, Aaron Dibden is my manager. I work with Annabelle Meadley, who's the Inclusion and Diversity Coordinator. Uh, KP, who looks after schools, and Jamie as well. Alongside me is also Nathan, who's, you know, there's two of us doing our role. We have 31-odd associations, so we split those in two, so he comes into that as well with me.
0: Very hands-on, literally providing the game. Um, How much are you enjoying the challenges that that represents, though, given that you've got – I imagine you've got pretty – Uh, detailed understanding and sort of uh, relationships with the clubs at the coalface of literally providing the sport to thousands of people?
1: Yeah, I think it kind of places me in a unique spot. Um, I can go to clubs meetings, presidents workshops, and I can understand those clubs. I can speak to what they're experiencing and we can have great conversations about, you know, what they're doing and what others are doing that's working well. You know, in any given you know, presidents' workshop or the like. There's probably one club that's already solved a problem that another club is experiencing. So, honestly, facilitating those conversations is a big part of this role. Is you know, supporting the clubs in spaces that there's traditionally not been a whole lot of support, and that's really critical. They're the, the lifeblood of our sport. We've got to we've got to do more.
0: So that segues quite nicely uh, into Club Changer. Tell us about the origin of this program and exactly what it is. So
1: Club Changer is the club development program. Um, it's run by Football Australia, um, backed by the Australian Sports Commission. Um, and it's, you know, a mod, a, a module, a women and girls module that you complete on a platform. It also has 12 or 13 other modules that you complete across all facets of a football club. So, you know, governance, finance, administration, women and girls participation, etc. cetera. Um, and essentially what we do there is it's a bit of a, the question sets a bit of a health check and so clubs will complete this um, and from there we offer some guidance and some support on an action plan. We align with the associations on what they're trying to do with within that space within the association and essentially we're, we're trying to drive a bit of club development within these clubs to show that their support and guide them towards resources and the people that can support them at varying levels within the association or the member fed as well.
0: Give us some some numbers of how many clubs are taking part, how many have been uh, accredited, how many are working towards it, and then sort of w- what's on the conveyor belt of clubs that have expressed an interest but maybe haven't started just yet. Yeah,
1: so off the top of my head, I think we have 75 clubs through in New South Wales. Um, we have, you know, 170-odd that have, you know, gotten on the platform but are still kind of having a look or working through it. And then I think we have another 30 or 40 clubs with completed action plans that we're just working on finalising with. So there's been some significant cut through there. We've, we've, you know, we've probably engaged with about, in some capacity, 40 or 45% of clubs in New South Wales.
0: So g- give us again, and apologies if you are going over old ground, the practicality of who undertakes the modules, how many people per club undertake the modules, and what are the expectations that they learn from doing it?
1: So I guess the modules themselves, you know, you want the women and girls champion or coordinator within a club to probably head up that. But, you know, a club president or a secretary or anyone best placed can complete, you know, modules that are of interest to them. So anyone on the club within the club committee can jump on and do that. You know, a treasurer might find the finance module quite helpful if they're a new treasurer and we can point them towards more experienced treasurers or our finance team here as well. So I guess anyone that applies to can you know within their space of the club can jump on and have a look this is a bit of a bigger
0: picture question for the both of you then uh, based on this what what capacity do you think the game is being provided for at the moment and how much better can it be provided as a result of greater education IP collaboration programs like this one do you feel like obviously every club administrator will feel as though they're at their limits they're doing as much as they can so how much How much more could be done with better IP, better resources, um, and and basically better education in order to make them maximise the time that they're investing in their administration?
1: Yeah, look, I think conscious that volunteerism in a lot of places is struggling. We're all time poor, and we ask a lot of our football clubs, but I think if they can be supported in a way and they can have kind of a one-stop kind of shop to have the stuff that they need to get started as a brand new committee or as a new volunteer you know the associations can provide that so can football new south wales we've just got a the football clubs you know the heartbeat of our sport and we probably have a duty to be doing more and that's what this program aims to do
0: is to support those clubs Adam, to bring it back to the Northern Suburbs Football Association, uh, what are some of the, the numbers in terms of your clubs, their representation, and uh, what are the aspirations that your association has for your clubs to engage with Club Changer?
2: Yeah, so, so far, it's, the, the rollout's been excellent, and our, our clubs have been really engaged, which is great to see. I think we're one of the leading associations um, in that regard. So... 40, 47% of NSFA clubs have completed the One star program, uh, and 65% of clubs are registered on the platform. So I think that speaks really highly of the work Trevor's doing and, and um, the way that he's been able to kind of roll out the program and, and get clubs engaged in it.
0: What are the ambitions for the next 12 months? Where, where do you, what, what do you want to see reflected in a year's time?
1: I think a sustainable club development program that continues long into the future to support our clubs. You know, we, we're doing work on a you know a club development conference. We're going to put together a club handbook. There's a whole lot of resources that, as a member fed, we want to start getting out there because we see it as our duty to support our associations in the club development space. Um, and I, just if I can backtrack slightly, I think something I wanted to touch on with NSFA quickly was Christy works as the uh, women and girls coordinator at NSFA so I work quite closely with her and she supports me getting the NSFA clubs through the program and I think what it does for her is a bit of a health check and a spotlight on what's happening in the women and girls space and so that allows her to then implement you know her the NSFA uh, women and girls strategy which is um what's best for her so i think that's kind of the alignment that we want we want to work with associations we want to take a little bit off their backs because they work tremendously hard having worked at nsfa myself i know how hard they work so if we can kind of drive the club development in alignment with what associations are doing Mm. then ultimately we're taking
0: we're taking a bit of weight off their shoulders um any feedback at, at this point of the process that you know when this program evolves and the rollout continues that you're taking with you back to your team at football new south wales and thinking about the implementation or is it largely been what's provided is what's needed it's more a matter of finding the people and the uh, as you mentioned you know people that aren't so time poor that they can't commit to going through this accreditation program yeah that's kind of the age-old
1: question of club development i guess ultimately we can only help the clubs that have capacity to speak to us or you know can speak to us via the association so there's a lot of we're conscious that there's a lot of clubs out there that we might not ever hear from because they're you know one or two person band kind of thing so we can we can try and reach them but if you if you're running a club And you're an individual or there's two of you you, you're probably not going to have time to talk to us which is just the sad reality of where volunteerism is at the moment Mm -hmm. so we want to we want to try and do what we can and hopefully one day they do have capacity to to get involved with the program but at the end of the day they've got to keep their football club running
0: and from a northern suburbs football association point of view um, this program as you say there's been pretty big uptake so far but club development broadly and what your association provides to its clubs where would give us a bit of a health check of where that's at and again some of the feedback that you're receiving from your clubs about what they want to see reflected in what the association provides to them
2: yeah so i think coming back to what trevor says it says uh, i think it's the, role of the association and football new south wales to make to ease the burden on volunteers and to make things as easy as possible and to, to provide the resources um, for volunteers. So I guess that's, that's exactly what we're looking to do. We're trying to help clubs in in all capacity, whether it's marketing, uh, social media and, and comms or the rolling out of, of, of different programs.
0: So we might leave the, the formalities of the conversation there, but there's one sort of uh, – it's a little bit more theoretical a question I, I wanted to finish with because uh, when, when I worked in um, football administration, often I would be having conversations with people in similar roles to you about how, and I was coming in from it from a media point of view, how clubs presented themselves to the outside world. And I always used to, you know, use the example of if it was a, a Socceroos or a Matildas match, a kid watches, they go to their parents, they say, I want to play, they might Google soccer, they might Google their local suburb, they might put the word club in there. And if it's a parent of a kid that's, you know, come home from school or has watched the Socceroos and the parent has no connection to the game, That first impression from the first Google search is so important, and it used to wind me up so much to open up a club website in 2015 or 2016 and see that they hadn't updated their office bearers or contact details since 2011 or 2012. That first impression, look, it is a bit superficial on my part, but it it used to really bug me, and I guess you know, you guys are deep in the weeds of what makes a successful club, of what allows a functional financial club to provide football. But but come with me on the superficial level here. Where, where am I at with my concerns about that first impression of how a club portrays itself to the newcomer and to the outside world?
1: So I think, you know, a lot of clubs do have a lot of work to do there. But again, you're asking volunteers who might not necessarily have the skills or the skill set to be updating a website or completely redesigning one and that's just the reality we're in I'm sure we could go through the NSFA websites and go there's some fantastic ones and there's some ones that haven't been touched in so long and that's just the reality of volunteerism right now it's a, a kind of a reflection of that I'm working through my website at the moment I have no history in website design so I'm having to learn as I go and find time to do that amongst everything else so it's yeah, I think you you spot on. We could probably present ourselves a little bit better at that first look, but it's, you know, you need to have that person with that skill set on a club committee.
2: Mm. Yeah, great. I think it's about NSFA providing guidance for for those clubs. So I guess providing them with um, what, I guess, the structure or makeup of a committee should look and what sort of roles and positions you should have. And, like, yeah, if you should have it, um, someone that's responsible for the social media and website content, which is which is critical in today's day and age. And then also for us to, to provide, I guess, recommendations on the platforms out there that, that can be used in terms of like designing your own web page and making it accessible and, and making the, the process efficient as, you know, not everyone's an expert
0: in those areas. Last one to finish, and I just want to bring it back around, back to the Northern Suburbs Football Association, Adam. Um, I asked Trevor where he hopes uh, the Club Changer program will be in a year's time. What headlines do you hope that uh, will be leading the Northern Suburbs Football Association in, say, 10 months' time at the end of the 2024 winter season? What are you hoping that the association will have achieved? So in, in 10 months, i I guess,
2: looking at the end of the, the 2024 season. Um, from my perspective, so hopefully we have a nice dry season like we just had this year. Uh, it was it was great to get a, a full season of football in and to be able to deliver a, a final series for the first time in, in four years. And for me, I would love to see the, the rollout of our, our, our new competitions go, go well. With, um, we're launching the, the G20s competition um, as well, which is like a replacing existing G18s and we're just looking to try and um, improve, I guess, the the enjoyment and football experience that our, our members are having because um, we recognise that there are areas and, and there are competitions where we are falling short uh, and players aren't having a great experience and it's resulting in, in players leaving the sport. So for me, um, yeah, particularly in the female football space, it's um, yeah the, the launch of the Women's 30 and, and Women's 45 competition, hopefully getting uh, a minimum of two divisions in in each age category um, and the G20 competition having having two deficients and having a development leak in,
0: in that division as well. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're the two main things for me. All the best. Good luck with all the initiatives. I am fascinated by these overage competitions and particularly the demand of the numbers. So I hope that you, you are rewarded as an association for listening to your members and for providing them football in, in that format and all the best with it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. So thanks to Adam and Trevor. All the best. Uh, Club Changer will continue on in the club development at Football New South Wales. Uh, This podcast, every episode gives us more and more of an insight into the mountain of work that goes on behind the scenes, and I wish you well. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. So big thank you to Adam and Trevor. We'll be back with the regular community podcast in a month. And in the meantime, you can catch up on both the earlier episodes and also the competitions podcast kickoff provided by Football New South Wales. My name is Taylor Pelizzari. Thanks for your company. We'll speak to you next time.